you can probably guess where we're going to turn to this morning. <laughs> you know, I've been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, we did worship with you guys last, uh, the week before last. Last week we were down in, uh, in Key West with Lindsay and Justin and their family, and we worshiped at a little uh, OPC church that is right within just a couple of blocks. It's the only, not the only OPC church. There's no PCA church in all of the Keys. It's the only Reformed presence in, in all of the Florida Keys is this one little teeny tiny OPC church. And, uh, and if they had a congregation the size of what we have here this morning, they would be rejoicing because I doubt if they've probably ever seen that one time in all of their 30-year existence. Uh, but it delights my heart to be with you this morning, delights my heart to see all of you here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter 2, maybe possibly wrapping up that chapter. Uh, more recently, we've been studying... Uh, this section of this letter that Paul has written to his protege, Timothy, that has to do with uh, the roles of, of women in regard to the church most particularly. Uh, and, and we've heard all kinds of things in our day. Uh, we know that women today, that, that there really is a culture out there that is doing everything it possibly can to erase any distinction that is made between men and women at all. We see it all the time. The evidence is everywhere you look. Uh, we, we hear more and more about being politically correct and what we say and how we approach things uh, and all of that. And what I've heard, I've heard actually church people make this argument because there are churches this morning where there will be women standing in pulpits and preaching sermons. In order to make that even palatable for church people, there has to be an argument given. And one of the arguments is this, is the, is the, we have to put things in social context. We have to put things in cultural context. That Paul lived in one culture, you know, things that they did then were okay for that day, but, but we've grown beyond those things today, and things are different uh, but I want you to know something, and that is just based upon the scripture we're going to study this morning, that argument holds no weight at all. That what we're talking about here is not a cultural thing at all. It's not just because people decided today to be politically correct, then you have to acknowledge that there is no distinction between the, the sexes. And that women are perfectly capable and able and permitted to do anything and everything that a man does. The reason I say that there is no argument uh, for that is this, is because Paul, as, as we're going to read in just a minute, he puts things in context. And the context he puts this, these statements in is not cultural or social as far as Palestine of the day goes or, or the, the known world as the day goes. Paul bases his argument upon the creation account and the narrative from Genesis chapter 3 in regard to man's fall into sin. So what I'm telling you is this, is that it applied in Paul's day, it applies in our day 
equally because it's got nothing to do with culture. It has to do with the will of God. What God has said would be. General Assembly was very interesting this year. I haven't seen you since uh, since I went. Uh, It's an interesting event, and I would encourage you sometime, if you ever happen to be close by, we had one in Orlando a few years ago, but one of the most uplifting things is a worship service. It all starts with a big worship service, and they, we serve communion and, uh, and all of that. And, and, and one of the heavy hitter preachers from the PCA is always the one who preaches the sermon and, and, and all of that. Uh, but there was a real hot topic at General Assembly this, this time that dominated everything. Last, not the year before he last, it was racism. This year it had to do with the role of women in ministry. Okay, last year General Assembly met, and one of the things that was decided is they set up an ad hoc committee to spend the last year studying the role of women in ministry and making a report to the General Assembly a couple of weeks ago. They did that. And that committee was made up of both men and women. You need to understand that. It wasn't just a group of men making these decisions, and it was a group of men and women working together. You need to understand that they don't have any power or authority or anything like that. They're just a study group. That's, that was their whole purpose. But they came back and they gave their report uh, this year, and let me tell you, I was very much blessed in hearing what they had to say because my fear was this is you're starting to see maybe the door begin to creep open a little bit uh, for having women entering into ordained offices and things like that. But you need to understand something. That's not what it was even discussed here. Uh, you know, obviously from Scripture that, that uh, you know, if you ask the question, should women be ordained uh, to the office of elder, and the answer in Scripture is absolutely not, and the answer in the PCA is absolutely not, and the answer to the committee is absolutely not. Because scripture has very clearly spoken about this particular thing. Should women be ordained to the church office of deacon? Again, absolutely not. Now there's a small minority in our denomination who believe that women could be ordained as deaconesses. But that is a very, very small minority that doesn't have any weight when it comes right down to it. But let me tell you something. There was something very important. That's not the only, those were not the only important questions. Another big important question is this. And this is what the, the General Assembly says. And, and even though those things are true, that women cannot be uh, elders and they cannot be deacons because Scripture prohibits those things, at the same time, we have to be willing to allow women to demonstrate and, and use the spiritual gifts God has granted to them to the absolute utmost.
Now, you might you probably understand that there is some dis- disagreement in the PCA, that everyone doesn't always agree with everyone else absolutely in 100% of the time, and there's certain people you, oh, you always know when they're going to disagree with, with what the majority decides about a particular thing. Now, what about worship? There are people in the PCA, there are pastors in the PCA, teaching elders in the PCA, ruling elders in the PCA who believe that every element of worship on Sunday morning should be led by the teaching elder. In other words, I should be up here on the stage from the very beginning of the service to the very end of the service, and no one else should participate in leading or reading or praying or doing anything else. That OPC church that we went to the last week, the pastor did everything. He read all the scripture. He led all the singing. He did all the praying. He did all the preaching. And that's okay. And you would find that there are some churches in the PC that have that approach to it. The majority of PC churches, on the other hand, have a less restrictive view, and that is that ordained preachers, teaching elders, do the preaching and the teaching. And even then, there are some exceptions to that. Because on occasion, we will invite young men to preach who are not yet ordained, but they need to have the experience of standing before a congregation and actually preaching before they enter into the preaching profession. It's a way of testing them. So they will know or have a better sense of whether God is really calling them to preach or not to preach. That sort of thing. There's never been a woman do any teaching in a group in this church that has men in it. And there never will be as far as I'm concerned. That's because scripture prohibits that. Does it mean, however, that women are supposed to always be silent, even in the worship? I don't think so. I will say this, that we've always had men leading in in singing, always, until just recently. For the last three weeks, we've had women leading the musical part of the worship service exclusively. Personally, I'm not that comfortable with it. In other words, I would love to see a guy up here, and I'm looking for a volunteer. Okay. Uh, but does that mean that uh, that's an absolute necessity? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Because you need to understand something. That everything that takes place here is under the authority of the elders. It's under the authority of the session. They're not always decisions that I make. There is no woman here that is, is exerting any kind of ecclesiastical authority over a man, any man, in any context. So what I would say to you this morning is this is I really believe that we're a church that is trying to hold to the, to the, the, the lines drawn in Scripture. 
that cannot be stepped across. But at the same time, a church that wants to see the women enabled to use their spiritual gifts to the utmost. You tell me that Carol, Julia, (laughs) are not gifted musically. Tell me that. Who gave them that gift? For what reason? That they would use it for what reason? For the edification of the body of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. There are churches in the PCA where you would never, ever see a woman leading something like the singing in the worship service. Why? I think that there are times when when men have actually used passages like this to strong-arm women. I'm serious. There are are mentalities very often that you'll find, and sometimes these are even in PCA churches, what you would call very conservative PCA churches, where women would not be allowed to do much of anything. They could not chair committees, they could not do this, could not even teach Sunday school to the children. Because in their mindset, the Bible says that these are things that only men do. But let me tell you something, guys and gals, I don't find any ground for that. What the Bible says is women are not to teach men nor have authority over them. And I think that we're living very well within those guidelines. And I hope you agree with that. Anyway, back to our scripture. This is chapter 2, verse uh, 12. This is where we left off. We're going to actually pick up with 13. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being Uh, quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity uh, with self-restraint. For Adam was first formed or created and then Eve. Do you see here that this this is where Paul is using this argument as to why women cannot have authority uh, over men or teach men? He's going to give us two arguments, and the first one is this. And the first one is just simply this. Adam came first. He was first created. We read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 in... Uh, actually, this is before that. This verse, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living, living being. God created Adam, and he created Adam first. 
Then later on in the chapter, we read this, that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and fashioned it into uh, a woman, uh, the rib which had been taken from uh, the man. You understand that men and women were created differently, that Adam was created from the dust of the ground. Eve, on the other hand, was created from the existence of the substance of Adam. Now, you might say, why in the world would God do that? Well, I can't tell you why God would do it that way. He, he could have taken a, a, you know, a, a fistful of dust in one hand and a fistful of dust in the other hand if he had hands. Made one into man and one into the woman. He did not do that. He chose to do this, to make the man first and then to take a portion of the man and to form the woman from that. There's something that he accomplished in this that should be really obvious to all of us, and that is this. He did not make man and woman of like substance. He made man and woman of the same substance. That there is a connection there that is made, that, is, that passes down through the generations. There's a sense in which we can all say that we were all made from that dust of the ground that Adam made. Or, or that God made Adam from, right? Women are just a little bit different. Let me ask you something. How did he create you? <laughs> he created you through Adam and Eve, right? Uh, so, all connected. Every person that's ever lived, we don't have like flesh. We have the same flesh. One of the things that I fear is that sometimes people look at this and they think, well, maybe God thought of woman as kind of an afterthought. He created Adam and then remember because he, he was lonely and all that other kind of stuff. God just had this brilliant idea out of the clear blinks. Well, I'll make a woman. I'll make a helpmate for him. Let me tell you guys, that's not our God. Our God knew what he was going to do from the very beginning. This is all according to God's perfect plan. This is how he planned it out. Women are not an afterthought. They're very much as much of the picture as men are. So why is it that the, the male, uh, and you're going to find this in Scripture, not only as far as the church goes, as far as the church office goes, but as far as the household goes. Why? Is it because men tend to be larger and stronger physically and can exert their will if they need to? Some people seem to think something like that. We know what the answer is. It's because God made Adam first. God made Adam first. Now, the only place that you see this, uh, this order of things occurring, if you think about the laws that have to do with uh, inheritance and et cetera, as far as sons go in the Old Testament, you'll find out that special favor was given to the eldest son. Right? What about when it came to 
kingdoms being passed from father to son? Who was it that was, uh, was in line to secede on the throne of David when, when David died? It was, it was his eldest son, right? So we see that same pattern there. So not only in this. And as I said before, just as the Lord grants leadership in the church uh, to men, he also grants leadership to men in the households. Ephesians chapter 6 really gets into that if you want to read more on that. Uh, But again, why? Certainly part of the reason is because Adam was created first. Okay? God did it. Well, Paul knows that you and I are not very often satisfied with one answer to questions. So he gives us another answer to the question. Why is it that men have the authority? And Adam was, was not uh, deceived or led astray, but it was the woman who was deceived and fell in sin. So reason number two is because Eve sinned first. Okay. So the reasons that are given here, number one, Adam was, came first. Number two, Eve sinned first. Let me just read some from Genesis here. This is chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Then Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, uh, has he said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, uh, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. We need to understand something, and that is that the Bible teaches us that Adam and Eve were very different than we are. In this sense, they are the only people in all the Bible that are described as having a free will. And that phrase is never even applied to them, but they're the only people in the Bible are ever described as having a free will. In other words, they had the ability to, to choose to sin. They also had the ability to choose not to sin. How do we know they had the ability not to sin? Because they didn't do it for a time. We don't know how long that time was, but for a time they didn't sin. So they had the ability not to sin. We also know that they had the ability to sin because they did. You and I are born in a state where we are, our, our will is in the bondage of sin. In other words, we have the ability to sin 
we don't have the ability to not sin. Things change once we become believers because there are times when you know, I make an active choice not to sin. But does that mean that we never sin? No. The truth of the matter is every one of us is still a sinner. That vestige of sin is still in us and it's going to be with us until the Lord comes back or we go to heaven to be with him. Have you ever wondered why in the world Satan approached Eve? Didn't approach Adam. He approached Eve. Isn't that interesting? Some people probably believe that it's because there's a weakness in women that you don't find in men. That there was something about her that made her more prone to sin than there was him. So she was the most likely candidate. What do you think about that? That women are more sin, more prone to sin than men? You think that's true? <laughs> I believe it's for an entirely different reason altogether. That is because if Adam had a weakness, it was his wife, Eve. So instead of trying the frontal assault, he went in uh, through the back door. We need to understand something, that he's very cunning, he's very intelligent. He knows way more than you and I know about just about everything. See, people very often want to blame all of it on the woman. <laughs> As if it's all her fault. It's all her fault that, uh, that we've, we find ourselves in sin now. It's just it's because of what she did, etc., 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 etc. But you'll notice here, we have every reason to believe that Adam was present when this conversation was going on. Maybe standing to the side, but he probably heard all the words that the serpent said and all the words that Eve responded with, uh, and, and all of that. And let me tell you something. As far as I'm concerned, Adam sinned before Eve did because he did not protect his wife from this. There's a sense in which Lori is my greatest strength. But there's another sense in which she, she's my greatest weakness. And you know what I'm talking about. If you want to get to me, the easiest way to do it is come at me through my wife. And you will get my attention. Nonetheless, Eve did give into temptation first. Right? I mean, that's just a historical fact. Just reality thing. But Adam followed right along with her. 
But through the bearing of children, she will be saved, or preserved is probably a better word to be used there, because we, we understand it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with save as far as salvation goes. If they remain in faith and love and holiness, being with a right mind. Now, we're all old enough to understand that, uh, that to have a baby, it takes a man and a woman, right? It, it, like the culture out there doesn't seem to understand that now. But it's, we know that reality is you can't have a baby without having a male and a female, right? Uh, what do you think the purpose of reproduction is? Have you really thought too much of it from God's perspective? What I would say to you is this, is that through reproduction, what God is doing is he is multiplying man upon the earth to, be, to, to worship him. That what he's doing is making worshipers. That's the purpose of reproduction. He's multiplying worshipers in this world. And what I would say to you, because that is true, is that having babies is perhaps the most important in function that our species can do. Next to worshiping God. In other words, pregnancy and babies and things like that have been, been deemed today in many circles not very important at all. What I'm telling you is they're like the, the most critical thing that we do or one of the most critical things that take place on this earth is women have babies. And we know that men are necessary for that to happen too, but at the same time, women do a lot more of the work, put a lot more of the work and effort and all of that into it than men do, way more. I can't imagine what a woman goes through bearing a child in her womb for nine months. It's not even on the radar of any man in this room. We can't understand it. We can't fathom it in any way, shape, or form. And we're crazy if we think we can. To have that child growing, living inside of you. So many today look upon pregnancy as a curse. But we understand differently. We know that the, the pregnancy is one of the greatest blessings that God bestows upon couples. One of the greatest blessings he bestows upon women. Good fathers help out as much as they can along the way. But the woman, the mother, does most of the work. Very often, most often, even after the delivery. Takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort, especially when you have a culture around us like we have today that is working against every good effort that we try to make in regard to the well-being of our children. And just remember this, to the woman, God said after she fell into sin, God came and spoke to her and to Adam and Eve, and he, he had bad things to say for both of them. But what he, one of the things he said to her, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Wow. There you see that 
that, that, that authority given to the man again. He shall rule over you. Most people believe that positions of leadership are something to be sought after for all the wrong reasons. It's a way to get people's attention. It makes you, makes you important. People look highly upon you. You gain respect. You get all the credit for everything everybody else does. Leadership in the church, my friends, should be looked upon very differently than that. Leadership is nothing but service. That's the top reason for it, is to serve the people that you have authority over. Not to exert your power over them, to do whatever you want, and etc. It's to serve them, to do what is best for them. I would make an argument this morning that women are not only important, crucial in physical childbearing and etc., but they are also absolutely crucial in spiritual nurturing. If you look around this room, what you'll find is there's more women here than there are men. Maybe not so much this morning. And not so much in this church. But you would find that at the church in general. And it's probably been true in just about every age. Except in those ages where men basically did manhandle their wives and women only did specifically exactly what they were told to do by their husbands. How many men here this morning came to faith in part as a result of the witness of their wife, their mother, their sister, or some other woman? Not just men. But there was a woman that had a major influence on you as far as coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the person who had most impact on, on me was my wife, Lori. St. Augustine, whom we all know a little bit about and we really love him and, and, and all that. Do you understand that his mother had a lot to do with his coming to faith in Jesus Christ? The same thing is true of a fellow named Timothy. Now, who's Timothy? Well, he's the fellow that... Paul wrote this letter to. What do we know about Timothy's coming to faith? We know that the faith of his mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice, had everything to do with Timothy coming to faith in Jesus Christ before he even met the Apostle Paul.
So women not only bear physical children, but very often they bear spiritual children. They're spiritual mothers, even to the men. It will lead them. I understand, ladies, it's not easy to be a woman. It can't be. But let me just say this this morning, that it's not easy being a man either. <laughs> I mean, those two tasks that God has given to the, the different sexes, are, they're very difficult things. If we do either one of them rightly, it's hard. It's difficult. It means giving up. It means letting go. It means dying to yourself. It means serving other people. It means caring about other people before yourself. It means doing for other people before you do for yourself. It means dying to yourself. Christianity, my friends, can be best defined in a sense as dying to yourself. But I, for one, want to thank all of those women who have been so faithful down through the ages and sometimes under very difficult circumstances. Faithful in their worship, faithful in their encouragement to everyone else, faithful in their witness. Because let me tell you, ladies, what you do is very powerful. It accomplishes far more than you will ever realize. Are you important? You're more than important. Your leaps beyond important. You're essential. Absolutely. 